Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Phil Forbes from First Place Bank. Thanks for joining us, Phil. Glad to be here. Uh, Before we get started, uh, Phil, I'm going to tell everyone uh, about some of the things coming up on the show. Tomorrow we have a uh, live show with Proactive Safety Services. We're going to have Scott Tapey, the CEO of the company, on this show. Uh, Next week on Thursday, a week from today, we're going to have Steve Phillips with Purple Trout. They're a search engine optimization and uh, content management company. The uh, A week from tomorrow, we're going to have Scott Simpson, who is the uh, CEO of Precision Staffing Services. They're a recruiting firm. We're going to have some people from the uh, home construction business, uh, John Dwyer and Mike Kelly. You, you know either one of those two guys? I know their names for sure. Okay, and uh, John Huber is going to come on on the 28th. Uh, we're going to have uh, Dave Darty, who started a nonprofit to onshore call center work at a company called Education at Work. We have uh, Mark Schmidt, who's got a, a new company called Atlas 10, which is a, uh, a nationwide pavement asphalt maintenance company or maintenance services company. He'll tell you all about that. Oh, we have a CPA during tax season. Al Perlman's agreed to come on. We have Bain Maynard on show number 100 from the Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, We have a really unusual guest. We have Mike Kelly, who's going to tell us a personal story of leadership or a personal leadership journey. Uh, And that's just some of the guests that that have agreed to come on. We're we're getting booked pretty good. Uh, Phil, uh, why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit first about yourself? How did you How did you uh, get to First Place Bank? Well, I've been with First Place Bank now for about two and a half years. Um, I've been in the mortgage industry as a loan originator for about seventeen years, and really in the the real estate industry in general for about twenty. I majored in real estate at the University of Cincinnati, so I'm one of the few people with a four-year actual bachelor's degree in real estate. So that that enables me to have a little bit wider perspective on appraisal practices and just the general, you know, classes in finance, things of that nature. That that really gave me a good a good place to start uh, my career. So, like I said, I've been doing it for a, a little while now, and in those in that time, I've Started as a loan officer, obviously, or maybe not so obviously, and and you know was promoted at some point to division manager. Uh, was a company owner for about five years, and um, here I am working at First Place Bank. So, mm-hmm. 
maybe tell our listeners some of them maybe you never heard of First Place Bank. Who is First Place Bank? First Place Bank is actually the second largest savings and loan in the state of Ohio. Um, we actually were recently purchased as of the first of the year by a bank called Tolmer Bank um, out of Michigan. We have up in the northern part of the state, we have about 41 bank branches that run all the way from Youngstown across the north coast of Ohio all the way up into southeastern Michigan. So there's a big retail presence up there. Yeah. Down here in, in greater Cincinnati, we do primarily uh, residential mortgage origination. We have three offices um, centered around our Cincinnati office. There's the Anderson office, one out in Western Hills, um, an additional office up in Dayton, actually two in Dayton now that I think about it. Um, And in any event, we do primarily residential mortgage, and we do it extremely well. Three of the top 200 loan originators in the country actually work out of the Anderson office. Um, Eight of the top originators in the country work for first place bank so it is a it is a bank dedicated to being very productive um, in the mortgage industry uh, what makes you a a top 10 mortgage producer how is that rated uh, that's rated based on volume and number of transactions closed and especially in a market like the Midwest um, making that mark on volume is uh, is a trick to be sure so um, you mean we're not moving very many five million dollar homes they're just not quite as many. There's not as much of the conversation. It's not like L.A. Yeah, a little, little lower concentration of that type of real estate around here. Um, we just we do the basics well. You know, we, we take the files in, we turn them around, we approve them, and we get them closed. And one of the hallmarks of our operation, we carry one of the lower default ratios um, of any lender in the industry, which is, is really something to be said when you're maintaining those volume levels. Mm-hmm. Does that mean it's tougher? have a higher quality standard? Um, I think we have a better considered quality standard. Um, There are competing lenders that would say we are lax, and I would say that we aren't lax. We're thoughtful and we're careful, and we know when to make the deal and when not to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't you uh, uh, tell our listeners about how you guys have... uh, First place bank, uh, go to market. How do you? How do people find you? Except maybe driving by. That's, that's interesting. Miles. Yeah, first place bank. You really won't find much about us on TV or radio or, or you know, print media where we actually keep a relatively low profile. Um, the originators at first place bank tend to be a very experienced group, um, and we work there probably because we have the ability to make our own phone ring. And so that means that that all of us have have considered and developed some sort of market niche. Um, That means people reach us for loans, whether that's, you know, years in the business and a a large database of clientele that follow you, or, um, you know, most of us are, are very tuned into working with local realtors, and we are well known within that circle as you know a group of people that can be depended on to get the deals done done efficiently done fairly um done with care so that you know the realtors are are comfortable trusting their clients to us and um and that's what what seems to keep making the phone ring and we've been doing it this way for a long time i uh i personally have been working on a referral type you know basis for 
14, 15 years now. So, so most of your business is coming in from realtor referrals. Realtor referrals and past clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I probably at this point, after all these years, see an equal mix of, of realtor and past client business. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, Phil has agreed to uh, take questions, and we'll be sc- screening those calls during the commercial breaks. If you want to call in and ask Phil a question, the number will be 646-595-4916. Phil, what is the unique marketplace advantage you think that First Place Bank brings to the table? Um, I think we're just a little bit more tuned into our customers' process. Um, as I was driving over here, I actually was was working with a new client who's going to be applying online with me this afternoon. Um, and he had had an experience with one of the local major banks, um, you know, nationally recognized bank. And, and his comment was, you know, I submitted all this stuff to him. I gave it all to him. And it seemed like they just didn't care about it. Um, that you know his loan officer, which which would equate to to my role in the in the process, you know, I'd say, well, we'll get back to you, and and then he wouldn't, and you know, really, that's that's partially his loan officer's issue, but but really, what's happening there is you have an organization that isn't communicating well, isn't moving information back and forth between the people efficiently, and and as a result of that, you have a. Uh, you have really a breakdown in what's happening in the process, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, the client isn't getting to the finish line that that you know the client's goals aren't being met. Um, it's just not acceptable. But at the end of the day, especially in mortgage lending, as our regulatory environment has changed, um, these divisions are becoming almost standardized. Um, they're becoming part of our standard operation. And um, what exactly do you mean by that? Um, there's been encouragement within a lot of a lot of organizations that there be separations between certain parts of the company so that those you know one part can't influence the action of the other part, which on the face of it seems to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but what ends up happening is that really neither part you you really create a division within your organization and you have two different pieces of the organization pulling in two different directions. So you've got an application for a loan here in Cincinnati. Uh, where, is, where is your underwriting department or approval department? Our underwriting is here in Cincinnati. So if there's an issue or a question, I can walk over and talk to an underwriter and I can get that question addressed. So your decisions on whether or not someone's going to be uh, granted a mortgage is happening right here in town? They are. You know, and and as a result of that, you have an underwriter who's looking at it, and that underwriter is looking at the appraisal and understands if you know a, a comparable property was used. And and let's say you've got a a Marymount piece of real estate, and you have a comparable property uh, used that's that's for instance in Madisonville, which is the crow flies might only be a tenth of a mile in the same zip code. Yeah, bad. But a local underwriter can tell the difference between, you know, those two properties and understand, you know, whether or not that's a good comparable property, for better or for worse. You know, mm-hmm. that, that could pull down the pro- value of the Marymount property. It could, it could artificially boost the value of that Madisonville property. And if you've got an underwriter 
evaluating that file based out of Pittsburgh, based out of Chicago, based out of, you know, they're not going to understand those neighborhood differences. And that's really what a local experienced group of staff can can bring to the table that, that unfortunately has been somewhat regulated out of a lot of operations these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how many pages of forms and applications does someone have to fill out to get a new mortgage? Well, does someone have to fill out or do we have to go through with them? Um, generally speaking, our process would entail somebody usually applying online or applying on the phone if, if online doesn't work for them mm-hmm. um, so that we can get them pre-approved. And then they're going to sign off on a loan application package. And that loan application package is is generally going to be about 28 pages. Okay, so um, that's not too bad. And then once they once they sign off on those 28 pages, um, they're going to provide anywhere from 15 to you know depending on the number of depending on the type of employment et cetera maybe more pages of documentation to get their loan closed. Okay, that's better than some when someone else said it was like 76 pages of documentation for the loan closed. Well, oh, well, yeah, the loan closing, you're going to see about 76 pages. Absolutely. We were just talking about the application process. The application process. And once we do what we do, that file, usually even the most basic file is probably going to run 150 to 200 pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, just an off-the-side question. In Ohio, and Kentucky, you do business in Kentucky, right? I do. Uh is it beneficial for the prospective homeowner, person taking out the mortgage, to have his own lawyer at closing? I generally wouldn't say that it's necessary in our market. Um, it's certainly not tradition. Um, I've seen it happen, and a lot of times when it takes place, um, I think maybe even the buyer or the borrower, whoever it is that retained the attorney, um, probably walks out of the closing wondering why they hired him in the first place. So, hmm. the documents that are signed are very, very standard. Um, so everything that you're doing at your closing is not unique to your individual transaction. Every, really, every client is going to be seeing the same disclosures and the same documents. And if the closing is handled properly um, by a qualified individual who's explaining things thoroughly. Um, there really is very little that an attorney is going to bring to the table. And if you really want to be, you know, careful about it, you want to have all your documents ahead of time, we can certainly email that information to you, you know, before you even close. You can see everything before you get to the table. Good. Uh, Again, if you wanted to ask Phil a question, the number is 646-595-4916. And we'll be back in about... Two minutes. Company owners and sales managers, are you sick and tired of hiring a salesperson you think is Tom Cruise only to get Pee Wee Herman on the first day of the job? Call me, Mike Roth, 513-646-6523 to stop this from happening to you again. Imagine you just left your prospect's office and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. 
I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Phil Forbes. Phil, uh, what's actually happening now in the Cincinnati or the Kentucky, maybe Dayton, mortgage market? Well, we're seeing a lot of lately. Um, values seem to have stabilized, and purchases are, are coming back into the market, uh, really with a vengeance. Um, we're seeing, yeah, we're, we're seeing more purchases right now than we're seeing an equal level of activity in our purchase business to what we were seeing in the summer last year. Um, so purchases are really coming back strong. Traditionally, January and February are months that we don't see a lot of that activity. Um, but I think that people are starting to receive the message that rates are not going to get any lower, number one, and that purchase prices are probably going to start going up fairly quickly. And, and a lot of the national data is is supporting that. Um, if you would have asked me this question in May of last year, I would have said, I'm already seeing the awakenings in the market. It's one of the things that I find interesting over all the years that I've been doing that and, and doing what I do is that I can see the trends starting to happen really at the ground level before they even, you know, really take root to the point that you're going to see them in the news. Um, on that note, you're probably hearing in the news lately that rates are starting to push up and they have been. Um, rates really started to push up a little bit in, in December. We started to see some awakenings of, of that happening in the market. Um, and so what kind of rate can a uh, person with good credit uh, who's looking for a 15-year fixed mortgage be thinking about? 15-year uh, fixed right now are running anywhere from 2.875 up to 3.5%. So it's I mean, it's just an incredible time for somebody to look at doing a loan. Um, purchase money interest rates are running somewhere in the 35 to 3.75% range, depending on, on category. Um, so rate-wise, we're still where we, where we need to be, but things are definitely starting to push back. 
we probably saw a trough in interest rates of about 3.375. So we're really about an eighth, if not a quarter of a percent above the trough that we saw. Um, but again, so so still a good opportunity, but some of that opportunity is starting to disappear. And, um, and that's actually driving more people into the market. Folks that have been putting off refinancing, waiting for things to get better. Um, it's probably time to get that work done and get it taken care of. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the marketplace, are people going for the 30-year or the 15-year more often? Well, that's a good question. It really depends um, on the individual. Obviously, and maybe not so obviously, costs on a 15-year loan can be dramatically less, 60%, 70% less uh, than a comparable 30-year. But then again, a 30-year can be, you know, from a budgetary perspective, may make the difference in whether or not somebody's, you know, living comfortably or not. So um, there's really a lot of a lot of different ways of looking at that. One of the alternatives that I usually share with my clients that a lot of people miss is the 20-year mortgage. The 20-year mortgage um, payment will, generally speaking, fall right in between that 15-year and the 30-year. Um, but what's really beautiful about it is for you know half the half the step up between your payment from 30 years to 20 years you get you know two thirds of the uh, term reduction that you'd otherwise be paying and that could be a nice alternative for someone who finds the 30 year comfortable maybe even a little bit too comfortable but finds that 15 year probably a little bit too tight to be comfortable with mm-hmm. in terms of the size of the, the monthly payment right right the longer the term it's going to push the monthly payment down Right now, for every $100,000 you borrow at these interest rates, principal and interest on a 30-year fixed is going to run you right around $450 a month. So you can really borrow a lot of money efficiently. Those that are participating in the market, diving in with the fixed rate, may find you know six six to you know 20 years from now that it was the greatest financial move of our lifetime. If we move into an if we move into an, an environment where we have a lot of inflation. That inflation compared to what they're paying on their interest rate may mean that they're better off um, better off just paying uh, their required monthly payment and not making principal payments. Mm-hmm. So, are you writing pay- mortgages like that too? Well, every mortgage that we generally write these days is going to have a principal and interest component, mm-hmm. but a lot of times folks feel like. Well, I'll start with this 30-year, and when I get five or ten years into it, I'll pay some principal down, and I'll start paying principal off. But what I would suspect will happen with a lot of people, as inflation starts creeping into the market, people will be looking at it saying, well, I'm borrowing this money at you know 3.5%, and right now inflation's running 6 or 7%. I'm better off not making a principal payment, putting this money into a savings account when we see savings rates return. And uh, people actually see a higher return on their investment in savings and CDs than they're paying on their mortgage. Makes some sense. Oh, there's always the argument that uh, I want to own my home. Absolutely, okay. and and that's that brings up a great point. Um, I, I developed the concept, I think, in somewhere in 1998 that I like to call with my clients sleep factor. You should always do a loan that you're comfortable with. If you do a loan that makes you nervous, it wasn't the right choice. And mathematically speaking, you can show people all sorts of different transactions. Back in the day, there were 
option arms with ridiculously low payments. I, I think in my entire career, I presented one option arm to a client. It didn't close because when I was done telling them about it, they didn't want the loan. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you can sit down and look at the mathematics of a 15-year loan as a great example. And somebody can look at that and say, well, I really want that low rate. I want that low overall cost to borrow. I recognize that that payment's going to be a stretch for me, but I'm, I'm diving in. I want to do that 15-year. And what ends up happening is you'll hear from them a year, two years later, wow, I really wish I hadn't done that. Um, you know, the overtime that I was relying on to make that payment has evaporated. Now, all of a sudden, that payment is, is you know, uncomfortable. I've seen people carrying 15-year loans that are late on their credit card bills because they're having trouble making that 15-year payment. Again, this is where sleep factor should have kicked in and really look at it and make sure that what you're doing is sustainable for the long term, that you're not, uh, you know, diving in because of a, a teaser rate or some low interest rate that at the end of the day is going to make you unhappy for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do you think the opportunities and possibilities are in the marketplace? Is it possible that housing prices could uh, dump down even lower? I consider that unlikely. And, and of course, anything's possible. Um, but we've already seen things kind of even out. And I've been watching uh, prices for a long time. And I, I at this point, kind of believe that we've probably seen the trough in the housing prices. Mm-hmm. Um, we are seeing that those... Do you believe we've hit the bottom? Yeah, I think we're a little bit beyond it. I, th- I think we're coming up off the bottom at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, which, as I said, I think seems to be driving a lot of people into the market because people are perceiving... Geez, right now, houses are still cheap. Interest rates are still low. And if I take this forward another six months or even a year, and if I'm paying a half a percent more in interest and I'm paying three, four percent more for the house, um, you know, I missed my opportunity. And and at that point, you won't have completely missed the opportunity, but you certainly will have missed maximizing it. So you're seeing uh, renters come back into the purchase market. You are. and And really what you're seeing, a lot of renters... Um, are starting those that that got their credit bruised by the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. Some of those are starting to um, redevelop into into capable buyers, and so some of those folks that had to rent for the last three or four years are starting to figure out that they can actually qualify to buy a home again. Mm-hmm. So, um, what percentage of the people that go through the application process don't get qualified? Depends on on what you want to call the application process. If you want to say people that call me um, that end up getting a loan mm-hmm. from me, I would say that number is probably somewhere in the range of fifty percent. But usually that's going to get called out very very early in the process. Um, usually you're going to see a credit issue come up, and that's going to happen within the first day or two of their loan application. And so you have you know if you make it past that and proceed with the process. Generally speaking, my approval rate runs somewhere around 95%. So when, when you're talking about that, you're talking about the proverbial credit score? Well, there's a lot more to it than credit score. I know people like to like to look at credit score, and that's a simplified way of looking at it. Well, what else is there? Well, you can have a great credit score, but a recent bankruptcy, or you know, a, a good credit score, but a foreclosure, or you know, not a good credit score, but but really haven't done anything wrong. Um, so there's really a lot to it that, again, I think takes more of a human touch um, than our mortgage industry is is comfortable allowing at this point. 
Um, but for the most part, those good transactions, there are ways to get them through. Mm-hmm. And, and ways to get them through means? Well, there's different loan programs that can be used. There's different methods. Um, you know, just so give us a couple of examples that you have at First Place Bank. Well, you've got, um, you know, for folks who want to go with no money down, there's there's a so Ohio the programs are still available. Yeah, as a, as a matter of fact, there's a lot of great programs like that still available. Um, a lot of times, people think that to get a conventional loan, you need to put twenty percent down. Well, that's we, the old wisdom, right? We we daily do you know five percent down on a conventional loan. Some of those people are paying PMI. Some of those people aren't. Maybe not paying it directly. Sometimes the the PMI is built into a slightly higher interest rate. We have a rule here at Sam that we don't use buzzwords that other people might not understand. Sorry about that. We've been in the industry a long time. PMI means? Private mortgage insurance. It's an insurance policy purchased by the buyer that protects the lender from from loss on the loan. Sorry about that. Um, so there are situations right now where, you know, veterans are a great example. You know, we love veterans' loans. Um, veterans loans we underwrite here in Cincinnati. Our VA underwriter is, is located in our Cincinnati office. Um, but VA is probably the most efficient way to put no money down on buying a home. Um, rural development still has some uh, some opportunities available where you can buy a home with zero down if it's located in certain areas. Um, in Ohio, you have the Ohio Housing Finance Agency. Down in Kentucky, there's the Kentucky Housing Corporation. Um, and all of these, those two agencies are state-owned agencies that are essentially distributing federal dollars to help people buy homes that otherwise would probably have trouble buying a home. Okay. Again, Phil said he would take questions if you want to call in at 646-595-4916. Uh, let's listen to San Rule number two. Hi, I'm Carl Graff with Sailor Training, and I'm here to talk about Sailor Rule Number Two: Don't spill your candy in the lobby. So, what does a spilled box of candy got to do with the sales call? Everything. When you go on a sales call, you take your box of candy. Your box of candy is your knowledge, your expertise. And salespeople are so anxious to open and spill their candy. When a prospect shares a concern that might be able to be addressed by your product and services, the salesperson launches into presentation mode, highlighting their features and benefits, they might throw in a third-party testimonial or two for good measure, candy, candy, and more candy. While there's time to share your candy, of course, it's during the formal presentation, demonstration, process review, and that's only if you and the prospect together have truly understand the issues they're trying to resolve. In the initial phase of the sales call, leave the candy in the box. Your task is to fully understand the prospect situation. You have to make sure that you uncover the prospect's issues before you make your presentation. During the initial phase of the sales call, the candy must remain in the box. Your task is to uncover the prospect's uh, issues. Your task is to ask questions to uncover the problems that need to be addressed or the goals that need to be achieved. Your task is to truly identify if your products and services will truly address and help the prospect. 
your task is to leave the candy in the box. If you're routinely dropping off material, information, marketing material without truly understanding the prospect's buying motives, then you're creating the habit of spilling your candy in the lobby. Ask yourself this question. If they, if they have your information, if they have your pricing, do they really ever need to talk to you again? Ask yourself, would they ever take your information and shop your competitors? Get enough facts to fully understand the opportunity. And if you get far enough through the development cycle to make a presentation, then open your box of candy. Yes, you should and can help the prospect. But the best way to help them early on in the process is to ask them questions, talk as little as possible, and get them to talk as much as possible. Your task is to gather the information, not dispense it, and save the box of candy for later. This is Mark Roth. I'm back with Phil Forbes from First Place Bank. Phil, um, we were just listening to the uh, the Sandler rule about uh, educating prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't ever happen to you guys at First First Place Bank, does it? We we, we educate prospects every day. That's that's really us doing our job well, is explaining to people the transaction and the process, so that they understand and they feel comfortable with it. Again. Going back to that sleep factor idea, are you comfortable with what's going on, um, and do you understand what's going on? So hopefully, when we do our job well, both of those things are the case. Yeah, well, you said you had a ninety-five percent closing ratio. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, once once people apply, their loans are approved, they're handled. Is and there an closed. application fee or anything at uh, First Place Bank? Um, we will ask for, I call it an appraisal fee. Other loan officers will call it an app fee. We ask that you pay for the appraisal up front. Um, but beyond that, no, we're really not looking for upfront fees to, to kick the process off. And, and how are appraisals coming in? Are they coming in fair relative to market value or low or high? Or? Um, appraisers have, generally speaking, been conditioned to be conservative in their values. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, we have a conservative market, and so those appraisals are generally working out pretty well. There's another program in play right now called HARP, um, the Home Affordable Refinance Program, which actually was a um, loan program developed by the federal government after they took over Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And this is actually the federal government helping the garden variety consumer, um, you know, helping helping really the, the American taxpayer who uh, exists somewhere in the $40,000 to $400,000 income strata. Um, those people that haven't done it yet should. Um, but really, it was a program design that when all of our, our home values fell throughout 2008, 2009, um, you couldn't refinance because the values were, you know, were not supporting the loan. Well, because the federal government took over Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac because they had to, um, they kind of required Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that that essentially for the loans that they already had, so not adding more risk to their books, but simply taking the risk that they already had and moved it to lower interest rates. So for those limited transactions that had been done before uh, sold and closed before uh, May 31st, 2009, 
those people that haven't refinanced yet can refinance regardless of value if that loan is owned by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac and, and sits in certain pools. And there's obviously some detail to it that's difficult to explain on a, on a macro level. How does level. a homeowner know who owns his loan? Um, you can search the web and uh, find a tool provided by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac and input your information. Um, and that system will tell you if, if the loan's owned by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Um, if that sounds difficult or a daunting prospect process, um, call a loan officer. And um, probably all of us have that, that website saved. And with as little information as your name, your address, and the last four digits of your social security number, along with your permission, we can check whether or not your loan is going to be approved or, or whether or not it's owned by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. There's still an additional vetting process that happens after that. But once we get a yes on that answer, usually 80 to 90% of the loans are going to qualify for that uh, home affordable refinance program. Is there a limit on the number of homes that someone can own uh, through through your bank? Uh, we go to 10. Um, some banks will say your primary investment plus, plus four. Uh, we will go to four, uh, 10 home loans per individual. Um, again, this is kind of a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac rule. Um, but different banks, you know, may or may not adhere to exactly um, the rules of Fannie Mae. Some some institutions have what we call overlays, so they essentially take what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are allowing, but maybe go a little bit more conservative than that, just to eliminate some risk from their own portfolio. Okay, um, we have a, a rule over here that uh, simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, you need a complex solution to a complex problem. Uh, perhaps, Phil, you could share with our listeners a complex problem that you encountered and an equally complex solution you came up with to solve that problem, and it might be applicable from a theory of operations to another industry. Um, well, well, we'll just uh, we'll address a specific loan scenario and just say that you know, right now you're you're going to find certain investors um, that are g- getting cut off by that um, by that limit by that that um, that multi-property limit of maybe five homes or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, not only will we allow for for you to own you know up to ten homes or have ten homes financed, um, but we will take an additional step and sometimes. Um, really, you know, you'll you'll run into certain types of investors where an individual institution may say, well, we looked at your tax returns and you don't have enough income. Um, but depending on the source of the income and the nature of their income, more detailed analysis of their tax returns shows that that maybe their income was decreased by a um, by a depreciation write off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, having somebody that's maybe a little bit more technically adept and able to read through maybe not only the, the individual's 1040s, but understands enough to ask for their, their 1065s, which would be a ta- partnership return, or an 1120S, an S-corp return, um, and having the ability to read through those and understand what's what's being said um, and see if, if, you know, sometimes there's a depreciation inside of an entity that they are a member of or a partner in or a shareholder in, um, and in certain cases, you can actually add that depreciation that was taken as a loss for that entity 
back to the individual showing that they do in fact have enough inf- um, income to support the transaction. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there there can be uh, technical knowledge means a lot in the mortgage industry these days. Mm-hmm. And and you have at First Place Bank those uh, technical people who can know when they have to look inside of someone else's income tax right right here in town. We we tend to be. I mean, it's really a function of the volume that we do. Number one, I mean, we we just see a lot of transactions coming over. You know, you're you're going to be a better batter if you take more pitches, and so we mm-hmm. we take a lot of pitches. And as a result of that, how many homes are changing hands every month here in uh, Cincinnati or being refinanced? Um, our office runs somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 transactions a month. So you know whether or not it runs across my desk or runs across one of my coworkers' desks. Um, if you run into a weird situation, if I haven't seen it before, probably somebody else in the office has. And so you can walk over and say, you know, how did we deal with that or what did we do? And, you know, there have been times that the answer to that question was we didn't do that loan. Mm-hmm. And and at that point, you know the answer at least. You know, you're not, you're not going into a, a 30-day tizzy trying to find a solution when the solution isn't to be found. Um, and and there's some efficiency there, and, and certainly some peace of mind for the client in that case. Sure, if you go to an O, you might as well find out right away. Exactly, exactly. Uh, leaving expectations up that aren't going to be fulfilled. Those usually bad business. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Phil, that uh, you can fill out an application online. Uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about the the website? that you guys have developed to do that with? Well, it's it's interesting. All of us that work at First Place Bank generally we're, are going to tell you that our web address, in my case, for instance, would be philforbes.com. Um, I think I bought that website in 2002. I bought that domain name. Um, so really, when you go to philforbes.com, you are going to First Place Bank's website. Um but in order to just make the explanation of that website simpler, um, it's you know we've we've all kind of distilled it down to um, you know individual web addresses like that, um, just so that we can tell our clients that a little bit more smoothly. Um, but they're they're really going to a very secure bank provided you know website, and um, when they're completed and they hit the submit button, I get an email usually in five to ten minutes telling me that 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 application's waiting for me to process. Do you promote the website with search engine optimization or any other methods? We actually don't. Um, right. We we push the website through our individual referral partners, et cetera. And a lot of times what's happening, how, how people land at my website, is an individual realtor or an accountant or financial planner will refer somebody to me, and I'll talk to them on the phone mm-hmm. and ask them to go visit my website after that discussion. Um, and so really who's usually going into that website are people that have already talked to me and understand who they're dealing with and what they're dealing with. Um, I think reaching the website gives them a little bit of extra comfort. There's, of course, a picture of me on there um, that uh, helps people put a face with the, with the voice. Speaking and, of that, Bill, if someone wants to get a hold of you personally after the website on the telephone, how would they do that? Um, my, send you an email. They can send me an email. That's, of course, on the website as well. Um, and they can dial my office phone at 513-624-3016. Uh, that actually will automatically forward to my cell phone. 
So um, there, there are times that people will call my office phone and I don't answer because I'm on the other line. And then, of course, they'll call my cell phone, which in each case, the same phone rings. Um, so I actually never turn off my call forwarding. That way I just never miss a call when people call me. You know, it's, it's going to come to me no matter where I am. A lot of times I am sitting at my desk. Um, but my incoming calls will come in through my cell phone, actually. So just streamlines my process and actually eliminates one more voicemail for me to keep track of, which is great. So I know how you feel about that. Uh, Bill, again, has agreed to answer questions if anyone wants to call in. Uh, the number, again, is 646-595-4916. We'll be back after these short messages. This message is short and to the point. In business, you don't get paid for what you know. You get paid for what you sell. Yet many salespeople leave their skills to chance. They often think, let me think it over. They write proposals that go nowhere. They lower their price to get the order. They wind up chasing prospects through the voicemail maze. It doesn't have to be that way. The best salespeople were not born great. They learned it. I'm Mike Roth of Roth & Associates. We're famous for our expensive, difficult sales training. We're not for everyone. We build the best sales prospectors and sales negotiators on the planet. Are you in sales? Are you ready to get deadly serious about your career that feeds your family? Are you ready to make a change? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523. Sandler's most experienced trainer in Cincinnati. 646-6523. This is Mike Roth. I'm back again with Phil Forbes. Uh, Phil, you've had your own company. I have. How many years did you did you run your own company? Uh, I bought it the very very first of the year in 2005, and closed it down somewhere around October of 2009. Okay, so it was a mortgage company. It was. We were a mortgage brokers operation. Good. Uh, maybe you could give uh, our our listeners a leadership tip. Maybe two. Um, wow, there's there's a lot there. Um, leadership is absolutely the most top-down piece of any organization. And um, I noticed that before I owned my company and really noticed it when I did own my company. And it, it, it really became the... So you bought a pre-existing company? I did. I, starting your own. I did. I um, It was just a, it was a time in the market when refinancing was drying up. And um, there was a friend of mine in the industry that owned a refinance shop and was was kind of done with with running a refinance shop and had a uh, job offer in the subprime line of work. And uh, so he wanted out of the mortgage brokerage side of things. And um, I've been working at the same place for about five years and thought it was time to expand my role as uh, from division manager to an owner. And um, so there was kind of a good fit, actually. The guy that, that sold me the company, he and I shared a lot of the same values. We're still good friends, and as a matter of fact, after he sold me the company, um, I probably visited with him at least once a week for the entire time that I owned the company. Just a really good guy, great relationship. Sounds good. Um, but in terms of leadership at the end of the day, I think that leadership is a, is a top-down enterprise, and um, 
an organization will invariably, for better or for worse, um, reflect the values that the leader holds and uh, expresses through his work every day. So um, it's it really boils down to that. So if uh, if you want your company to be a certain way, act that certain way every day, and it will come true for better or for worse every time. Mm-hmm. Some of that's corporate culture. Yeah, yeah, and that. that Filters right down from management. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a way of doing business. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Something I forgot to mention earlier is uh, still time to sign up for the Sandler Client Summit in Orlando next week. Go to the website, uh, clientsummit2013.sandler.com. Uh, should be a great conference down there. Uh, the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Sales from LinkedIn, a fellow uh, named Brian Frank, is going to tell us how LinkedIn uses their own product to grow their brand and grow market share. Uh, three great days. The conference is titled No Guts, No Gain. Uh, March 27th, we're going to have a, another cold call camp here in Cincinnati. There are some seats available for that, so if it's for yourself or your team, uh, call the office here at 753-9400. Talk to Carmen. She can get you set up for that. Uh, Phil, uh, at First Place Bank, you guys have a strategic planning process that you run through every year. Uh, I Well, you're you're dealing with, with, for lack of a better term, salespeople, professionals at a fairly high level. I think all of us are definite goal setters. Um, goal setters. Yeah, you. I don't know that uh, that there's a formalized process where each each individual um, does that, but I I will say I know for myself personally, I kind of take a, a day at the end of each year, at the beginning of each year, to kind of go into a retreat and identify what it is I'd like to accomplish um, on a business level, and and really even in you know this sort of planning applies to. Uh, things I want to do with my family and things of that nature. So I, I think anybody who is moving forward without a roadmap um, is is lost. So, you know, so you, it, you take this plan and leave it in words or do you put it into pictures? Um, wow, I I do all kinds of things with it. Actually, I um, interesting. What 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 do you do? I, I create a written list of goals that are set up into an automated appointment that pops up for me at the beginning of each month, so that I can take so that whether I like it or not, those get put in front of me. Now, that's um, a good tip. There's a set appointment each month where I balance my accomplishments on the year against my accomplishments year to date, so that I'm tracking my progress toward those goals. Um. If you want to look at it as pictures, there's graphs involved. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, things that have arrived on that goal have been volume, volume levels of business that I want to do to how often I intend to call my dad. Um, I try to try to really manage all parts of my life that way. I don't think you're going to get anywhere without a plan. And so, you know, take a little bit of time, not a lot, to identify really what's important to you. Um identify a plan and stick to it. And that doesn't mean that if you developed a bad plan, you should stick to it until your next planning session. Sometimes you need to scrap the plan and adjust the plan, leave room for adjustment. 
But uh, at the end of the day, if you're not doing that sort of thing, if you're not setting your appointments, if you're not paying attention to what you're doing on a daily basis, you will find out that uh, you don't arrive where it is you expect to do arrive. Right, so. right. And those people who work with me uh, probably cringed when you said that because we don't set up any appointments. We have meetings, but we get invited in. Mm-hmm. But appointments are for the dentist or, God forbid, a lawyer. <laughs> uh, but I do like that idea that you have a a recurring activity that that pops up into your uh, calendar every month. Mm-hmm. It, it actually, yeah, it's it's a it's a time set aside each month for me to kind of go off and you know sometimes it's a walk with a dog, but you know print those documents out, print those PDFs out that are saved with that. Take them with you, look at them, think about them. Depending on your faith, pray over them, whatever it is that you feel is important. Um, but take the time to pay attention to your direction and what it is that you, you know, where it is you want to be. Yeah, I've so, seen so many people and companies lost uh, in the process, didn't know where they were going. Uh, in fact, we created a, uh, a strategic planning process a couple of years ago that was just designed to go two years long. Mm-hmm. Uh, every year, repeat process and go two years out. Right. Because we know that too many things are going to change. Right. Uh, and if you stick to, with a five-year plan, right. by the time you get to year three, you're in deep, serious trouble. Right. right. New opportunities in the marketplace get lost. Yeah. So uh, I was going to ask you this earlier. Uh, first place bank got purchased by another bank in Michigan, you said. Yes. But are going to continue to operate here as first place bank? We are continuing our operation as First Place Bank. That's the plan at this point. Okay. And you said uh, the word savings and loan earlier. Is, is that really what the, what it is? Is it savings and loan? If, if you want to be technical, yeah. There's And there's technical differences between a bank, a savings, a loan, a credit, you know, credit union, et cetera, right? And so if you really want to be technical about it, I guess we're technically a savings and loan. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so are the loan standards different between banks, savings, and loans, and credit unions? Um, between banks and savings and loans, I would say, generally speaking, we're operating under the same OCC, Office of the Comptroller of Currency, and the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance uh, Corporation. So we, we operate under their regulation. Now the CFPB also is involved in our operation. What's the CFPB? Uh, the Consumer Finance, CFPB, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Um, and that is a new entity that's designed to really act as an umbrella over all of really about 13 former agencies um, that regulate consumer finance transactions. Mortgages fall into that category. Car loans, credit unions fall into that category as well. Um, so that's that's uh, how we're regulated. Uh, credit unions actually have substantially different rules that they work under than us. So when you originate a loan, is first place bank actually going to hold the paper, or is that going to be uh, pushed off to Fannie Mac? Yes and no. Um, So, yes, we're going to sell that loan to Fannie Mae probably within 30 to 60 days of your closing. Okay. Generally speaking, up to this point, that sale has been transparent to our consumer. 
So my borrowers continue to make their payments to First Place Bank. First they Place have, Bank services the loan. Right. So First Place Bank, so if you have a question, you can call me and say, hey, Phil, I don't think you guys paid my taxes. Can you please check on it? And I'll pick up the phone and call our servicing department and work through it with our servicing department. Sometimes I'll just forward people on to our servicing department. Um, but just because we actually handled paying your taxes and collecting your payment doesn't mean that we are your lender. Technically, your lender in that case, your loan has been sold off to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and we are in that case exactly what you said, your servicer. So, uh, But in your answer, you kind of, are there some loans that your bank keeps? Very, very few, if any. Really? Yeah, that's a, what you're asking about is what we would identify as a portfolio loan. Um, generally speaking, those are second mortgages. We do second mortgages. Again, not a lot. You're dealing with an institution here in greater Cincinnati doing about 250 loans a month, maybe five, less than 10 for sure are second mortgages. Mm-hmm. So that would be someone who's going to do a, uh, a dramatic improvement to the property. You can do that with the first mortgage, too. Um, so you can do a first mortgage rehab loan or a renovation loan or a construction loan. So briefly, let's go over that. Five years ago, I got a, a loan on a $400,000 property, and I got a, a fixed monthly payment based on what the interest rates were at the time. Okay. Uh, now I want to do a $50,000 improvement to the home. But I don't happen to have fifty thousand cash in my hand. How do I handle that with the mortgage? Do I get a second mortgage? You could do a second mortgage. Okay. You could do a rehab loan. Let's say you came to What's me and rehab loan? said, Phil, Phil, I borrowed four hundred thousand dollars four five years ago mm-hmm. and I need fifty thousand to, to put a swimming pool in the backyard for my wife. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, you know, I'd like fifty thousand dollars from you. And I'd look at it and say, Well, we can do a second mortgage for you and you're gonna have, you know, a either a variable interest rate or a fixed interest rate, depending on what you prefer there. I said, but, you know, your current interest rate is 6%, and you need to get rid of that because you're you're paying too much interest on your first mortgage. You could do either a simple cash-out refinance where we took your existing loan, added about $50,000 to it, and gave you a new loan, or we could do what's called a rehab loan where we looked at it and said the property after this improvement has been made is going to be worth $50,000 more. And so it may make sense to lend on the property based on its as-improved value. And then in that case, you're doing a rehab loan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's certainly a, a new and different perspective for me. And uh, something that other people might not have thought of. There's a lot of wrinkles to it. It's actually one of the things that we're really, the rehab loan and the renovation loans are one of our hottest products right now. Um, we're doing a fair number of Fannie Mae home path loans, which is a loan specifically offered by Fannie Mae for the property that they've taken back in foreclosure so that they can liquidate their foreclosed inventory. Home path. Home path. And that's, we're recognized by Fannie Mae as one of their most productive lenders in the state. Okay. Bill, I want to, since we're running out of time, I want to thank you for uh, being on the show with us today. I'm going to be giving you a copy of uh, one of Sandler's books, The 49 Sandler Rules. We heard one of the rules today in the show. And uh, a cop- giving you a, a copy of our training calendar and a couple of free passes to the uh, to one of the training classes. That sounds great. I appreciate that. Bill, 
thanks for uh, for joining us here today. Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks, Ed. A lot of fun. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.